The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage MN. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. And Roland Solo in the studio today. Do have producer Justin behind the screen there, pushing all the dials and knobs and all that, making sure that our levels are good. No Tom Schreier today, so no Podfather blessing us, but we do have a very fun guest. Now, before I get to our first guest of the day. We do thank you so much for your reviews on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. When you give us those reviews, you give us a little more legitimacy, both in the eyes of other listeners and advertisers, but also the provider. So drop us a review on whatever platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you can find a spot to leave us a review and can give us five stars if you like the show, please do. If you do not like the show, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Got my DMs open. You can let me know what we think we can do better. But without you, we can't do the show. And so thank you very much for listening. Also, come check out Tom or me at the Twins Daily Winter Meltdown this weekend during Twins Fest. And we'll say hi. We'll kind of mingle with whoever wants to say hi. Hopefully people show up and actually want to talk to us. No Brewers talk today, so I'm sure Justin's going to be super bummed. But we do have big league lefty Eric O'Flaherty on the line. You can find him on Twitter at EOF34. Hey, man, what's going on today? Not much. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing real good. We we get, we're getting you in Washington. You're from Walla Walla, but you're in Seattle. You said is that correct? Yeah, I live in Seattle now. Okay, so we are dealing with some some mighty chilly weather. And uh, what what do you got going on there in Seattle today, weather wise? Uh, just the same muck we have for about five months of the year. It's just overcast and raining. Yeah, my, but you my get used to it. <laughs> my in laws used to live in. Uh, Sultan, which is kind of by, I'm trying to think of the other name. There's a, it's a, uh, it's a city, one of those cities that's kind of an area, unincorporated area, but it's about 45 minutes north and east of the city. So we'd go in and check out the the city and it's, uh, it's all right. How, I mean, how did you settle on it? Did you, when you played for Seattle, decide that you liked the city and wanted to stay there eventually or? or Yeah. uh, Well, I got caught up with the Mariners. It was actually my first year with Seattle. I met my wife. So um, I just stuck around here. We were dating and I was training with the, you know, I was training at Safeco Field. And that's pretty much how it started. And then, you know, we rented apartments here and eventually bought a condo here. Then when I got traded to the Braves, um, this was just always kind of home base. Her family's here. So where we live. Well, that's a good spot to land. Obviously, getting your feet wet in the big leagues and and all, obviously where you start your family is always pretty significant. Now, growing up in Walla Walla, were you a Seattle Mariners fan? Because, I mean, same state, but it's not exactly next door. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the only team up here. So, um, yeah, huge fan. Uh, just watching Griffey, Edgar Martinez just got inducted. Yeah. Um, Jay Buhner. I mean, the whole, the whole squad, especially... Um, you know, that my, my team in the mid nineties was, I mean, it, that's pretty much what drew me into baseball watching those guys. 
Well, and we're about the same age. You're about a year older than I am, so I can relate to a lot of the things you're saying. I've been watching old games on YouTube lately, and so, I mean, Dave Nyhouse is obviously kind of the industry standard for play-by-play guys, and Rick Riz is good. And, and even now, they've got a pretty good crew with um, oh, the, the name. The name's escaping me right now. The guy that hurt his ACL here in Minnesota last year. Uh, playing basketball, a pickup game. The guy, the guy that wears the the hat. Was it Blowers? No, the. Uh, oh, Sims. Dave Sims. Dave Sims. Yeah, wonderful guy to talk to. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. I, I remember Blowers more for playing, and and what I was saying too was, so uh, I do a flashback Friday post on Zone Coverage here, our website, and last week it was the Twins versus the Mariners on a getaway day in 1994, but I also did A Rod's MLB debut, which is on YouTube as well, and then I also watched a Seattle game from 1995 that was, uh, who were they playing again? I'm trying to remember. They they had just gotten Warren Newsom, and I, I can't remember who all they were playing, but you know some pretty deep cuts as far as all this stuff, and so I'm. You know, Doug Strange and Warren Newsom and Brian Terang, all these guys that I'm sure you might remember better than the average person. And for me coming up like 93, 94, 95 were the years that I just got the baseball fever. And so, yeah, I was surprised though. A-Rod's debut uh, being on YouTube is pretty cool. And so it's got to be kind of weird to grow up watching guys like that and then end up playing against some of them in the future, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, A-Rod gave me my welcome to the big leagues moment. He hit a ball. <laughs> he hit a ball about 600 feet. It almost went out of the stadium and, uh, at Safeco. Oh, wow. I threw him a fastball down and away in a, like a 1-0 or 2-0 count. And I learned pretty quick. You got to be a lot more fine than I was at the time. So yeah, that was my welcome to the big leagues moment. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of cool to get that front row seat to a homer like that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to pay admission either, which is pretty great. So no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Walla Walla High School, uh, you're the only big leaguer that I can find on MLB or on Baseball Reference, rather. A couple other guys drafted, but Drew Bledsoe went to your high school, I understand. And so was that kind of a big deal when when he was in the NFL for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, you don't really you don't really grasp it when you're when you're a high school kid and that it's even a, even a possibility, um, him doing it didn't give me any more hope that I could actually pull it off. And even when you get drafted, it's still kind of a pipe dream, Mm -hmm. but you know, it, it was really cool that he did that. It, it, uh, he definitely has a big name around there. I think he just moved back to Walla Walla from, he was living in Bend, Oregon for a while, started a winery and everything. I've, I've thought about moving back too. So we'll see. Does does his career and how it went shape how you feel about Tom Brady at all? I mean, he played in the Super Bowl coming up here, but you know the the springboard that he needed ended up being your guy getting hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tom Brady's just a different animal. I mean, I think he's just an outlier. I don't think there's really True. any way to. Yeah. It, you know, some guys just have that ability to just keep competing into their forties like that, but most of us don't. So. You're drafted in 2003, so your high school draft pick, sixth round. Where had you committed, and how how important was it going to be to you to get drafted early rather than than go to college and maybe get drafted later on? I wasn't going to college. <laughs> um, <laughs> my man, I, my man. I just, I want, yeah, I wasn't a great student. Um, once I realized I had a shot to play pro ball, I pretty much. Um, I was all in on that. Um, so I played in a showcase in uh, Arizona my junior year, and it was the first time I really ever thrown harder than 90. And I I sat 93 for about six innings. And 
during the game, you know, scouts and, and college scouts, pro scouts for all my parents and kind of freaking out who is this guy? Because for most of the summer, I've been throwing 87, 88. And so, you know, that, that, that winter, I got a ton of attention and everything. And I had committed to Oregon state to, in, you know, the, whatever the deadline was mm-hmm. and pretty much once scouts started calling me, telling me I was going to be a first rounder, um, my head was into pro ball. That was it. I wasn't looking back toward college. And so how does that whole process unfold? I mean, you start hearing from teams that they're interested in you. And then obviously the draft back then wasn't on MLB network or anything, but it was still nothing. You know, it was the, pro- it was the prospect era kind of coming around, you know, Moneyball started the kind of people looking at the Moneyball draft, which was, I think, 2001. You know, people were looking at prospects more, learning about the younger players. But, I mean, for you, it was probably, what, a phone call when you're at uh, at home or something? Or what, what, what was that day like for you? No, I was just at school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I just went to school that day. Uh, I finished school at about 2 o'clock, and uh, I can't even – honestly, I can't even remember. It was just school finished. I checked the Internet, and – I hadn't gotten drafted yet. So then I was home and it was kind of crazy. I mean, I had a shot to go in the first round is what the scouts were telling me all fall. But then I came out in 40 degree weather, the first game of the season, throwing 85 again mm. and really built my arm up. Didn't really know how to prepare for a season at all. And, uh, yeah, so I'm throwing 85, 86 in my first game. It's 40 degrees out and I'm just watching the scouts kind of check their gun and then stand up and start walking back to their car in the middle of my outing. <laughs> I mean, they kind of see what they need to see. So I really didn't start throwing 92 again until my last three or four starts. And at that point I'd fallen pretty far in the draft. So yeah, school got out that day. Um, I got a call from the Braves saying, we're going to take you with our next pick. Will you sign for 250,000? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> I didn't know you're not really supposed to do that. You know, your yeah. agent's supposed to handle that. I thought it was kind of a little bit of a bush move on the scouts to ask me, you know, an 18 year old kid, if I take the signing bonus or not. Right. But in the middle of that phone call, I got another call from Phil Geisler, a scout for the Mariners and said, we just, we're about to take you in the sixth round. Will you sign for 150,000? I said, yeah, to that too. <laughs> so That's like, yeah, I'm in. let's do this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. 150,000 will never run out. Right. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> when you played at that showcase in Arizona, were there any other kids that end up being big leaguers or maybe teammates or anything like that? Probably on the other teams. Uh, the, the other best player on my team was Steve Marquardt. I think he wound up getting drafted, but I don't know if he had too much of a, Mm. a pro career. So yeah, I don't, I mean, the kids from Texas were really good. They were head and shoulders above us. Yeah. It's funny how Texas, California sometimes, and you know, up in Minnesota, we play baseball like two months a year, it feels like. And so we're a little better at hockey. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah, it was, we went down and played those guys. It was boys against men. Any, any team from California, Florida, or Texas up against the Washington kids. It was, it was just boys against men. We didn't, we really didn't stand a chance. So, like very, very early in your minor league career, you played with like a 17-year-old Adam Jones. I got to ask you, I mean, this is a guy who is still in the big leagues. He hasn't signed yet, but obviously is is pretty well thought of as a, as a player. What was it like when you think about You probably have to think about it in retrospect now because you didn't know the gravity of the situation at the time. But what was playing with a young player like that or a 17, 18-year-old, well, 18-year-old, I suppose, Felix Hernandez back then? How, how do you view those guys and where they were at that time versus now? 
you could tell they were special. I mean, so Phoenix was actually the first guy I saw throw in pro ball. Um, I took my physical, did everything, walked outside, and it was mini camp right before they break for um, the the short season teams. And he was going there, so he was kind of having a little touch and feel, um, just a, polishing up before the season started, his last little start. So he's probably throwing three or four innings. And he was the first guy I saw throw. So I asked somebody, I'm like, who's that throwing? They said, Felix. Like I did, you know, like I was weird for not knowing who he was. So I go stand behind the backstop and I watch a couple innings. This dude's 17 years old. He's throwing 98 with just a ridiculous curveball. And I, I remember calling my dad that night, like, Hey dad, I might be home by the end of the summer. These guys are, these guys are ridiculous. That's a reality. That check. was my first. Yeah. That was my first impression of, of, pro pitching. So, I, I mean, I was throwing 92 left-handed. I got a shot, but mm-hmm. if this is what these guys are doing, I, I I can't do that. I got no chance here. Well, and another youngster you played with was uh, Asdrubal Cabrera, who actually just signed with Texas. And at that time, I mean, yeah. good infielder, middle infielder, uh, t- took a ton of walks. I mean, at that time, was he a kind of guy that stood out too? Or, you know, where, where was he oh, on yeah. the spectrum of things? Yeah. I mean, uh, so Cabby was, he was... Uh, you know, when, you, when you're kind of a gold glove caliber infielder in A-ball, mm-hmm. you might as well be Omar Vizquel. I mean, you're so far above the competition, it's not even comparable. So he, didn't, he really didn't stand out with the bat at that time, but his, just, his instincts on the field and his ability in the field, nobody could really match it, it across the league. So, yeah, he was, he was special. And then uh, Jonesy, Adam Jones, was, he was a shortstop when I was coming up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't he so make a he ton a of errors or something, too. but he was really athletic? <laughs> oh, yeah. Freak athlete. Um, yeah, he booted a lot of balls. He, short stuff wasn't for him. Yeah. But they started him there because he was so athletic. And then when they moved him to center field, I think that's kind of when his career took off. But he also threw 96 off the mound. So wow. you're talking about just a just a freak athlete. That sounds a little bit like BJ Upton back when he was coming up too. I think his change was obviously a little bit later. I think he might have even broken in the big leagues as a shortstop, but you can't you can't knock that kind of athleticism. Now, you obviously came up with some some well-regarded prospects, another guy Shinsu Chu who became a really good player, but you played with a lot of prospects. I don't know how to put this delicately. Uh, big name guys who you don't didn't, have to didn't really perform. You know, they stagnated. Um, Jeff Clement being one of them. Uh, Jeremy Reed yep. for a, for a small time too. W- what is the differentiator for guys who become the Adam Jones and Felix Hernandez's versus the Jeff Clements and the uh, Jeremy Reeds? Maybe like the uh, Dustin Ackleys of the world. What, what what differentiates those two types of players? It's all up top, you know, or, or it's either your health or or your head. I mean. You get drafted in the first round, you got the tools, and and that's why it's so hard to project guys because, for me, the biggest factor in succeeding in the big leagues or even in professional baseball in general is just what's between your ears. Mm -hmm. And some guys, you know, it's just they just – it doesn't work out for them. They don't have the swing or they don't have the approach. They can't make the adjustments. The guys that make the adjustments keep moving up. So – one guy I want to ask you about was one of my favorite prospects, and it never panned out for him health-wise, Chris Snelling. And I just oh, felt yeah. like he was snake-bitten so badly in his career. What was he like as a player and as a guy? So Snelling had, like, the best hand-eye coordination I've ever seen. Yeah. One spring training, we had a uh, we had a ping-pong table in our garage, and, you know, the, the top draft picks would be the bookies, and everybody else would be betting on the games. 
And Snelling would just, I mean, he'd be on the table the whole night. He played two-handed. I've never seen anybody play ping pong with two hands before. I do that too. I, I can't help myself. I don't know why, but I do. Yeah. It's, I, don't know, I mean, I feel like you beat me already. Just if you start playing with two hands, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a mind trick right there. That's awesome. But yeah. He, um, I think if he stayed healthy, he had a cannon, he raked. I think if he stayed healthy, but that's, that's one of those big factors that some guys' bodies just can't, there's nothing they can do. Their body just can't hold up to the 162 game season. To me, he was kind of like diet Nick Johnson. I don't know if you remember the guy who came up with the Yankees and played with the Nationals. Yeah, yeah, I faced him a few times. Yeah, I mean, incredible I, eye, but he just. I think he healthy. was a better player than Nick Johnson. Really? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I just don't think he could stay healthy. Everything I saw him do when he was healthy was really impressive, especially for his size. I mean, he had a great arm. He had pop. I mean, he had everything. He just couldn't stay healthy. Did you have an inclination that Shin, Shin Su Chu would be pretty awesome? I mean, he's he's winding down now, and his his obviously his no, his deal with the Rangers is coming to an end here pretty soon. But he's turned into a guy with great plate discipline. He was a pretty good outfielder back in his his earlier days, but has you know, kind of transitioned to DH more now. But obviously, he's put in a really really nice career to this point. So Chu was Chu was a few levels ahead of me, and I never really got to see him play except you know just sprinkles here and there in spring training but i heard the stories you know everybody talked about the inside out power the the arm the speed and he i mean he for me he pretty much if you get a big league career out of a prospect they pan out you know if he played four five six years that prospect to me panned out and so he turned into be a you know, a pretty good one. Now in San Antonio in 2006 you also at least were on the roster with ryan roland smith did you get to know him at all Oh yeah, I still I saw him the other day at the mall. I mean, Twitter. I mean, he's got a pretty pretty big Twitter personality. What's he like? He was a Rule Five pick for the Twins, actually, right around this time, and didn't didn't yeah. stick. But um, so he's, he's very entertaining on Twitter. Yeah, no, he's awesome. He's he always had a good personality. He's always good to be around in the bullpen. I still see him here and there. Um, he's doing. I think he's doing some broadcast stuff for the Mariners now. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I always like to hear guys that hang around the game when they're done playing. It's it just seems to me that the guys who um, you know kind of have the baseball bug hang around. Now uh, it's dark out here in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, kids? I, I want to be around the game. So, so in 2006, though, you also played in Inland Empire for a while in in high high A ball. Did you spend any time getting to know Luis Valbuena, who obviously uh, passed away just recently, tragically? Did Did you know him at all? No. You know, I think he got called up to that team after I'd already got called okay. up to double A. Um, my interactions with him were always good. You know, just big smile on his face, passion for the game. You can't uh, can't have a problem with guys like that. Well, and he bat flipped singles, and uh, honestly, I think that's awesome. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you might come from a different perspective, you, you standing on the bump 60 and a half feet away, but um, it seems to me like you kind of embrace that part of the game. Yeah, I'm over it. I don't, I don't, I mean, <laughs> you know, when when nobody's doing it, you're kind of a, a jerk for doing it. But if that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. I'm just kind of waiting for pitchers to start taking the cue and do their own thing because we get a lot more opportunities to be uh, be jerks out there, you know? Well, yeah, there's no question <laughs> we about We can kind of spice it up too. <laughs> now, in uh, in 2008, you spent a little, little, little bit of time in, in West Tennessee. Did you know Greg Hallman at all either? I mean, obviously another guy who tragically left us too soon. Yes, yeah, I love that dude. Um, another guy, just big smile on his face, uh, just charming, nice stud, man. It, it was uh, hit me hard when that happened to him because he was just a genuine. Every time he see you, he'd make you feel good about yourself, give you a big smile, pat on the back. 
ask how your day was. I mean, just one of those guys that just makes your day better mm-hmm. every every day, and that's important through a 162 game season. So, I spent a lot of time with him in spring training, going out, you know, have dinner with him a few times. He was uh, he was a tough one to lose. Well, and obviously the manner in which it happened is difficult, but did you ever read ESPN did a really big feature on it and it, as hard as it was to get through it was really well done. Did you ever did you ever get a chance to see that? No, I didn't. I I, I mean, I kind of I didn't want to think about it too much. Pretty fair. It, it was uh yeah, that was a tough one for me. Well, also that year you shared a triple-A mound with R.A. Dickey, who at 33 was still toiling in triple-A. At that time, he was, well, yeah. he's still technically a decade older than you, but what, what do you think? I mean, obviously lefties can pitch for a very long time as long as they stay healthy, something that I'm sure you're keenly aware of. But a guy like Dickey just kind of reinventing himself. I know the Twins had him for, I think it was a brief stretch in 2007, and then he ended up getting DFA'd. I mean, that's a guy whose entire career was adversity from losing his draft uh, deal because he didn't have a what he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a UCL yeah he didn't he have a UCL right. one yeah so I mean wh- his arm was hanging funny in some picture for Team USA or something and a doctor saw it and said something's wrong with that arm so yeah. they gave an MRI took a signing bonus away right that's right so I mean do you learn from a guy like that still pitching in AAA or uh, yeah AAA at that time 33 I mean are you thinking sometimes you just got to keep going and keep pushing even when it feels kind of kind of difficult or you know what did you learn from him even in that short time you guys were together uh, well he was kind of a big factor in me maturing and getting over myself as a ball player um, that year in 08 I'd gotten sent down and I thought of myself as a big leaguer now and I'm, I'm too good for triple a type of thing uh, and I got humbled I got humbled bad in 08 and I came down to triple a and here's Ari Dickey's been grinding it out for 15 years already. He didn't really have much time for me feeling sorry for myself. So when I throw a fit or kind of be a little baby about something, he, he called me out every time. And I didn't like it at the time, but I needed it. So, you know, guys like that are just really good to, to be around in the game. And he definitely, uh, he definitely cleaned things up. And, and I mean, he made a career out of it for himself. And, and I'm, I'm happy for him. Yeah, it kind of seems like he's got that in between the years thing that you kind of alluded to where, I mean, you'd have no choice at his age to keep pitching. Uh, you, you have no choice to have it than to have it between your ears because he's still going. But uh, Yeah, he better have it between his ears. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a quirky dude, though, I heard. Like, he seems like he's a really good guy to be around. So it seems like a good role model. Yeah, he's, he's cool. He's a, he's a, I, I actually, I played with him again in uh 17 with the Braves That's right. so we had a lot of we had a lot of good laughs over uh my immaturity when I was 23 <laughs> <laughs> well so you got your three years in Seattle and then you're picked up off waivers by the Braves how difficult was it to go all the way across the country not only that but you know you're in your early 20s you're leaving the team that you've grown up rooting for I mean might have been the best thing that happened to you from how things went in the Atlanta standpoint but what were you feeling at that moment? Because, I mean, it's in the off season when players kind of have times to get into their head and maybe underthink or overthink things. But you're coming off a tough stint in the big leagues, and you know, it was uh, maybe a crossroads for you in a lot of ways. How did you feel about uh, it at the time? Yeah. I mean, best thing that could ever happen to me, honestly, especially you know going over to Atlanta and being around people like Bobby Cox. Um, I'll just sum it up real quick. So, 08, I hurt my back in spring training, but it was – it was not the years where you were really allowed to be in the training room as a young guy. Right. And I was looking at my first opening day roster. So I wasn't going to say anything. 
Um, I made the team and it, it showed that I wasn't really a hundred percent. I think I gave up like 15 runs in five innings or something. Every wow. ball was hit hard. I was garbage. I was terrible. Got set down to AAA, and I really didn't want to make excuses like, Hey, my back's hurt now that I'm not in the big leagues anymore. So I kind of grinded it out for, uh, I think another month down there. And it just got progressively worse and worse and worse to the point where I could barely even walk. And so obviously at that point I had to get shut down and I missed the rest of that year. Um, basically just trying to find a way to be able to move again because my back was so bad. Um, I rehabbed and then I went and threw a couple bullpens at Safeco Field. And as soon as the doctors cleared me, um, pretty much, I think the last bullpen I threw, I was driving home from the field and got the call that I'd been claimed on waivers uh, by the Braves. So I went to Atlanta and it was just a completely different culture. Um, you know, it, it was kind of salty in Seattle and mm-hmm. – I needed that at the time, you know, I needed to kind of grow up a little bit and I needed some, some tough love in my life. But at the same time, when you go over to Atlanta and I'm sitting there the first day in um, camp Roger, their early throwing program, Bobby Cox comes up and just kind of shoots the, just chats with me for 15 minutes. Bobby Cox. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Bobby Cox is just sitting in my locker chatting with me. I I immediately knew this was going to be a different vibe. Um, and it, you know, the veterans there were really cool. They were still on you, but it was a little bit more finesse to it. And, uh, I, I think that really helped my confidence and then throwing to, uh, Brian McCann and, and David Ross, my career just kind of took off from there. What, what was it like playing for Bobby Cox? I mean, obviously one of the more legendary managers, and uh, I think he still holds the record for ejections, or at least he did at one point, but I mean, obviously, as a leader, a lot of guys point back to him, and a lot of Hall of Fame pitchers and and players have played for him. It seems to me like this was, is one guy who the like the legend meets the hype. Yeah, it was it was like playing for your grandpa. I mean, you wanted to make him proud. Uh, he, he always had your back. He always stuck up for his guys. You know, you could come into a game and throw four pitches off the backstop, walk a guy and you know, lefty specialist, you're getting yanked after one hitter sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he'd come out to the mound and you're just like, shit, sorry, Bobby. He'd just say, <laughs> you know, he'd say, uh, man, I hope was squeezing you today. Like, Up wasn't squeezing me, Bobby. I was all over the place. <laughs> but he'd always give you that pat on the back and, and almost deflect the blame just, just to kind of keep your confidence up. And the best thing about it is no matter how you pitch today, he puts you right back in that situation tomorrow. And uh, that's, that's huge for relievers, not sitting on a bad outing. And that was probably the best part about going to the National League for me was just getting to pitch all the time. You're just in games. You know, you don't have any time to really overthink anything because you're just always in there. Well, you certainly can't complain about that. Uh, 2011, I mean, anybody who talks to you would be a fool not to ask about, like, literally the first time anyone's ever had a sub-1 ERA, and I think it was over 70 innings. What? What are you feeling at that time? Because I mean, I know as a reliever, bad you know bad times out can can really snowball, and you know five bad innings can ruin the rest of your season. But when you're rolling like this and you have none of those bad outings, I mean, at some point you just feel like you're coming in and you're going to be automatic, like Mariano Rivera, just you know of your own type. Yeah, I was locked in. Um, I, I've you tell me what to throw and I'll put it there pretty much the whole year. Uh, one of the one of the huge factors in that season was that pretty much every time we came in the game, it was tied or a one run game. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't there was no room for error, you know. And uh, I, I think just having that not really pressure, but just 
you're pitching for your team more than you're pitching for yourself. You come in in a five or six run lead, just try not to give it up. You come in in a one run lead or a tie game, you know, your focus all of a sudden just shifts to winning. So you're doing whatever you can to put up that zero to win that game. And I think pitching that often, because I, I think pitching 70 something games, 78 pitching that often. Yeah. 78 games pitching that often in, in tight situations, you know, it, it just, I love pitching in those close situations because it's not about me. It's just trying to win. So you had 67 strikeouts and 21 walks, but eight of those walks were intentional. So your your walk rate was about as good as it gets. And early in your career, that had been a bit of a struggle. How did you develop or hone command as your career went on? I mean, what do, what do you guys do? Because it feels like some things you can train more easily. You know, your speed, you do toe tap drills when you want to lift weights to get stronger you just do it command seems to be the kind of uh, thing that's got to be tough to train yeah well not really i mean you just it's more about having balls you know challenging <laughs> the hitters and 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 when you're rolling it's it's pretty easy to fire a strike in there and just see what happens when you're struggling it's it's easy to nitpick and kind of fall apart but one of the things that really helped me that year was just throwing to mccann and uh david ross they would you know, they'd have little cues they had for pretty much each pitcher to get them back on track. So if I was missing, 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 they'd call a fastball into a righty and it'd just get me back over my front side and through the ball. And even if it wasn't the right pitch for the situation, it got me back in the zone. So, you know, just little stuff like that. It's it, a lot of times when pitchers are walking guys, they're just, they're nibbling, they're scared. Maybe they're on a, they're, they're on a little tough streak and they just don't want to challenge anybody. But when your confidence is high like that, I throw balls right down the middle and just see what happens. Yeah. Can't complain with that. If you're feeling like you really have that. Now I, I got to backtrack for a second because I missed it. But when you were with Seattle, did you get to play with Eddie Gordado or get to know him at all? Cause that's, obviously that's a Minnesota angle. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie was awesome. Uh, I did play with him, but he was in camp a lot. So, um, you know, he'd come over to the he'd come over to the minor league side and just play jokes on us all the time and mess with us and keep us loose, make fun of us. Um, anytime a guy that's got that kind of stature comes over <laughs> to the minor league sides and just treats them like people, um, guys really appreciate it. So, uh, you know, we always remembered him. I couldn't tell if you were talking about his stature in the game or his physical stature because I think you go in, I think both. you go in each direction there. <laughs> he's 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 wild though. He's a really both. great guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in 11, you were part of the bullpen trio of Venters, Kimbrell, and you as, uh, you know, the guys that really shut things down. Venters has been one incredible comeback story, and, uh, and you know, he's been just a, a great guy to, to watch. Kimbrell obviously still doing his thing. Uh, what was it like to be such a with such a power trio? Well, it was, it was easy because if I <laughs> – if I was throwing the seventh inning, I had Johnny coming in to bail me out. If I was throwing the eighth inning, I probably had Craig right behind me. So yeah. that was another thing that took pressure off too. Is like I had to get out of jail free cards sitting behind me in the in the bullpen every time I went in the game. So it's like, you know, I get runner second and third, two outs, Johnny will come in and punch somebody out for me. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's that's true. What what was it like playing with uh, Chipper Jones, obviously Hall of Famer in his own right? It was cool, man. Uh, it, it takes Chipper, uh, it takes him a little bit to warm up to you and uh, kind of give you, uh, get to know him and, and get in there with him. But I would always just sit around the clubhouse and listen to him talk to guys. And he'd talk to hitters. He'd pull a guy aside and just give him the best possible advice he, anybody could have given him at that time. He'd get in depth about approach, swing, everything. It's, it, it's really, that's one of my favorite things about getting to play as long as I did was just getting to listen to guys like that talk. So 
Yeah, I just soaked it in every day. It's cool being around chippers. And then you had McCann too. I mean, the only bad things people say about McCann is maybe his, you know, needing people to respect the game. But as far as a teammate, it seems like that's the kind of guy you want to be in the bunker with. Yeah, I got to clear that up. Um, yeah, no, please do. He's not. He, yeah, he's not the fun police in in any way. So good. good. The Carlos Gomez thing. Uh, let me think what happened first. I think the Carlos Gomez thing happened first, but it might have been the thing with Jose Fernandez. Sure. Jose Fernandez thing. Um, I guess Gaddis Gaddis pimped a homer off Fernandez the the inning before, and so Fernandez walks up to the plate and he says to BMAC, he says, "Hey, you know what's up with this guy pimping homers? That's that's BS, blah blah blah." And he kind of you know he's kind of he's kind of pissed about it. Two pitches later, he hits a home run and does the same exact thing. Ah. And probably way, you know, he did it way worse. So he runs around the bases and when he gets the home plate, Mac was, Mac was just telling him, Hey, you just came up to the complaint complaining about that. You know, what are you doing? Right. And he said, you know, damn. All right. I'm sorry, man. So Fernandez apologized immediately. The whole thing would have been over if Chris Johnson didn't come in screaming and, and trying to fight everybody. Oh, no. And then it just turned into a melee from there. So it wasn't that big of a deal at all. No, not at all. Nobody cared. It was, it was over before it even started. He said, sorry, that was the end of it. And then the, uh, the Carlos Gomez thing, we had no clue him and Paul Mahomes had a history. I guess he, I guess Gomez raked Mahomes and Mahomes hit him a few times or something. We don't know about that. That's with the Brewers and the, and the Pirates. Pirates. Yeah. So the new team, but he still got this beef with Mahomes. It's, I think it's the end of the season. We're already in the playoffs. They're already out of them. And uh, so, you know, whatever. Let's grind this stuff out and get to the postseason type of game. And Gomez, either the first or second hitter of the game, hits a monster home run and just starts screaming at everybody. <laughs> you know, we're like, what's this guy's problem? What's yeah. this, you know, we have no clue what's going on. Um, I mean, you you go around anywhere in America and just start screaming at random people. At some point, someone's going to get up in your face and be ready to fight. Yeah. So BMAC just happened to be that guy. It had nothing to do with fun police or, yeah. or respecting the game or anything like that. This guy was being, we don't know what he was doing, you know? So well, Mac just stepped up like, Hey man, you want to fight somebody? Let's go. Well, I have a funny story for you. He was actually loose cannon. Uh, I can't remember if he was number one or two for Ron Gardenhair back in the day. That, that was his nickname for him and another player were loose cannon one and two. And uh, loose cannon <laughs> two was Alexi Casilla. I don't know if you ever knew who he was, but um, I guess they kind of like lived together and they were just kind of yeah, yeah. nuts. So um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that story adds up for, for sure. Well, yeah, that, it, that's it, a, it, <laughs> you know, nothing against Gomez. He's, he's actually, I, I really enjoy watching him. He did that thing this year where he got hit in the batter's box and he laid down like he got shot or whatever. <laughs> he does some funny stuff. He makes people laugh. You know, it's, it's good for the game. Yeah. But in that situation, we just had no clue what was going on. I think it's pretty cool that BMAC just stepped up and said, let's go. <laughs> if we got a problem. Let's do it. Well, I, just gotta you know, I don't know why that gets a bad rap. Right. Yeah. No, the, the based on how you explained it, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, only a couple more things and then we'll hit you with a lightning round and let you out of here. How, how did you have to evolve as a pitcher after you had Tommy John surgery? I mean, you weren't exactly, I mean, you weren't Johnny Venters in terms of velocity, but you, you know, you got up there 90, 92. How much did you have to change when you came back or how much did you change as you've gotten older pitching wise? I mean, I really didn't evolve after uh, Tommy John. If you check the numbers, <laughs> I was still trying to do the same old game and it wasn't working. Sure. Um, I, you know, one thing I didn't really do a good job of was rehabbing my front knee. Uh, when I had Tommy John, they took the tendon out of my right hamstring. 
And I think that kind of, I think that kind of hurt me, you know, as far as life on the ball and being able to get extension over my front side and throwing a ton of sinkers. Um, you know, Tommy John, it's tough. Uh, they look at it like you just, you know, filling a cavity or something these days. It's really not that simple because the, everything in your body changes and, and you can't help but compensate when you've had that, that big of an injury to a, a joint that you're relying on so heavily. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really have an answer for that. I didn't figure it out. <laughs> well, and, and you told me off there you're still kind of working on it. You're not officially done pitching, but hopefully you get healthy enough to get back on the mound. Um, you've, you've been a ground ball guy your entire career, and that's become more of a statistical analysis thing in the last few years. But, I mean, were you aware of, of how you got hitters to do that and, and what it meant statistically to keep guys on the ground back then? I mean, I, I feel like it's probably an obviously yes. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I rode that sinker hard. Um 2012, I think I threw like 78 or 80% fastballs and guys just pounded it into the ground. 66% um, ground ball huge. rate was your, your rate that year. That's the biggest rate in your career. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you talk about, um, the intentional walks and stuff or bunning guys over. I, I never was afraid to pitch with an open base. I just try to walk the guy. If they, if they swung, they swung mm -hmm. and then I could set up a double play. And I was so confident I could get a ground ball that, you know, it usually played out pretty well. A righty comes up with runners on the, uh, on base. They think they're going to do damage. You throw them a sinker down away. They try to pull it. They hit it right to shortstop. You know, that worked for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think what hurt me was guys started swinging up at the ball when they were swinging level and flat. Um, when they miss hit the sinker, it would be a ground ball. Now, when they miss hit it, it's still a line drive. That's why everybody's succeeding throwing fastballs up in the zone. Sure. That makes sense. Well, before we let you go, can we do a quick lightning round? Yeah. You ready? You, you ready to step into the Thunderdome here? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm ready. What position would you most like to play that you haven't already? In baseball? Yeah. Um, I'd like to play outfield, just hang out there, catch some fly balls, and then try to go deep. Nice. That sounds like a, you could be like the Jeff Francoeur. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's who I would be as a position player. Who's the best teammate you've had in your career so far? Brian McCann. What is the best minor league city that you ever lived in? Oh, the best minor league city? There's really uh, slim pickings. Uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, just because we had a fun crew of guys. Nice. Uh, what manager that you haven't played for would you most like to? We're not saying you're campaigning for a job or Francona. anything. Francona. Francona. Terry Francona. Nice. Yep. Who's your favorite MLB player of all time? Griffey. What would you be doing if you weren't playing baseball? Uh, making ice cream coffees at Starbucks. What's the significance of the numbers you wore? You wore four different ones in your career. That's what they gave me. Describe your Twitter account in fewer than 10 words. Real talk. <laughs> if, you, if you were a pro wrestler, who would your tag team partner be? Brian McCann. Who's no, I'd take David Ross and we'd go against Brian McCann. There you go. Who's a who's a hitter that you haven't faced that you would most like to? Babe Ruth. You have two career big league plate appearances. Would you like to make it three? Nope. <laughs> I had to end on that one. Uh, <laughs> two of them were both strikeouts, so I had I had to yep. ask you if you wanted to make it three. Um, so you're still throwing, though, you told me. I mean, ho hopefully we can get you back on a roster. How do you feel right now? I feel pretty good. I got some work to do. I, I don't really have any interest in playing until I'm uh, yeah. what I consider 100% for me and I'm able to put the ball where I want to and 
feel somewhat decent every day. So that happens, I'll play. If not, I'm going to be uh, hanging out with the family. Well, hopefully you enjoy this as much as we did, and hopefully we see you on a roster again at some point in the near future. And if not, obviously getting the big leagues is, is huge and awesome. From one lefty to another, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again sometime down the road. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Eric O'Flaherty. You can find him on Twitter at EOF34. And now on the phone line, we have Ryan Turnquist at two underscore underscore Canes with a Z. Ryan, I'm going to tell you right away, you're going to want to listen back to this first half because our guy Eric O'Flaherty explained why Brian McCann is not the fun police. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's looks actually like I got some work to do. Well, and so Justin here, the producer, doesn't have a mic today. We've revamped the the stereo, uh, the studio, rather not the stereo. Uh, so he doesn't have a mic. But as a Brewers fan and a Carlos Gomez fan, I think anyway, he said that the explanation <laughs> made sense to him. And so between that and the Jose Fernandez homer, why Brian McCann stepped up the way he did makes a lot of sense, and it's not uh, not too offensive. So it's pretty exciting to hear him clear the air. But yeah, people are going to want to listen back to that. If they're, if they're fast forwarding to listen to Ryan, like I used to fast forward through Bohemian Rhapsody to hear the part that was on Wayne's world, um, go back and listen to the first part because like Bohemian Rhapsody, the first part is also good. So, um, Ryan, the big, <laughs> the first thing I want to get to is uh, baseball perspectives putting out their top 101. Uh, hypothetically, I would have this day circled every single year on my baseball offseason calendar, but I didn't know when it was coming out. And then I saw a tweet from Jeff Patron Rostro, who I believe was a big part of the rankings this year. Uh, obviously, that's probably a pretty big, exciting day for you as well, right? Yeah, they just kind of dropped it out of nowhere. I love all these uh, all these release days. I mean, I know when MLB.com is coming out. I think Keith Law tweeted today that his is Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Um, and the, but uh, baseball perspectives dropped this too uh, with very little fanfare. Um, so it was just a nice little treat this morning. So only three twins in the top hundred. They're all in the top forty. Let's let's go through them individually. Obviously, Royce Lewis in the top ten at number eight. Uh, too high, too low. Uh, I, I first of all, I want to ask. Do you have any prospect crushes that have developed recently that you see high on this list? Because I feel like you're a Joe Adele kind of guy. I, oh, I love Joe Adele. I'm Who a big it? Joe Adele fan. Yeah. Um, I was surprised to see him as high as he uh, as high as he was. And I love I love Tools, the outfielder. So I'm a big Joe Adele guy. Uh, big Taylor Trammell guy at 11. Like I said, I love Tools, the outfielders. Um, he'd be another one of those. And then uh, Jesus Lazardo, who's the uh, the Uber prospect for the uh, for the A's, the left-hander who who will is going to be up helping them sooner rather than later here at number thirteen. So, yeah, I saw, well, I saw um, they cl- they claimed yeah. a pitcher yesterday. Uh, the guy from the Angels whose name escapes me right now, but um, yeah, they uh, have Bridwell a, Parker Bridwell Parker Bridwell. Yeah, they have a they have a lot of question marks in that rotation. So it's it could be as early as opening day if they decide to fast track it that way. But yeah, so anyway, Royce Lewis at eight. Um, I don't really have a problem with all the prospects ahead of him are phenoms. You got Guerrero, Adele, Tatis, Eloy Jimenez, Victor Robles, Keston Hayura, and Forrest Whitley. I mean, if Nick Senzel has a healthier year, he might have a case to be ahead of Lewis. Franco, Trammell, Bichette, Lazardo. I mean, one through thirteen are all guys who are pretty pretty awesome. And so I, I really don't have a problem with with Royce Lewis at number eight. Yeah, no, no qualms there. I mean, I expected to see him top 10 and those guys you listed ahead of him, uh, like you say, all very good. And the the guys that are right a few spots behind him, all very good. So he's in good company that 
company there to see him in the top 10. He I'm interested to see where he ends up on these other lists as well. He feels pretty just steady to me. Like I, I don't feel like man, and maybe this is my red and blue blinders, but he just seems like a fairly safe prospect to develop into something. I don't know if it's because he's got such a good way about him off the field too. He just seems confident but not cocky, uh, really well grounded. I'm actually working on a story for that for zone coverage. Hopefully in the next couple of days, but um, this is as good as I felt about a prospect since Joe Mauer. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I was going to kind of get to this a little later, but I feel very similarly about another Twins prospect. Yeah, I know who uh, you're, we'll get, know who you're talking we'll get about. That we'll get to yeah. on this list. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that will, that will, yeah. Well, so 33 is Bruzdar Gratterall. How, how surprised, without mentioning the other guy, how surprised are you that Gratterall is number two on this list? Very. Uh, I, w- I was surprised to see that he was above uh, the number three guy. Uh, I have them flipped on my rankings, but I, w- I was also pleasantly surprised because I didn't. I figured we would see Gratterall on the list. I didn't know exactly where, and to see him in the top third, as opposed to maybe the back fifty or the bottom third, uh, was is very exciting to the Twins fan. Before this morning, you would have guessed Gratterall way maybe what fifty, 50 between fifty and sixty, maybe is where I would have been. Yeah. That's probably the range I would have had him in somewhere, somewhere between fifty and seventy-five, we'll say. So the third, the third quadrant. So he's yeah, Kiebert Ruiz, Jesus Sanchez, Bruce Dargradrell, Nolan Gorman, and Jonathan India. He's in the middle of that five. Casey Mize, Chris Paddock, right behind that. I mean, that's really good company. Well, I'll put it this way: I mean, he's he's ranked presently above the number one overall pick in last year's draft by a lot. So there you go, by a lot. Or sorry, no, go. I'm I'm yeah. thinking of a by a lot. I'm thinking of also Hunter Green, um, who's yeah, Casey Mize, seventy five. Um, sorry, my my mistake. Hunter Green, who everybody wanted the Twins to take number one. That was my confusion. I think he's now having. Uh, is he having Tommy John? He's having some surgery. He's going to miss a big part of this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he he got hurt, and and prior to that, hadn't pitched uh, real well um, when he was healthy. So and I think uh, you're being generous to too. Green you're being pretty period. generous with that. I I. I, I like Hunter Green. Um, we've we've had some interaction on Twitter, and um, you know he said he would have loved to have been a twin back before the draft because he had played at Target Field. But part of me wonders what uh, what Twitter sphere, Twins Twitter sphere, would be like if their number one overall pick from two years ago was on the shelf for most of this year and had uh, a twelve four six ERA in his first season. I mean, obviously a very small sample, but um, right. you know career numbers of a four nine five ERA. At uh, at a ball and uh, and and a little bit of rookie ball. I just think that the Twins are in a better place now, and and you know Green's not in any sort of trouble for potentially contri- con- uh, contributing to the Reds. But I think the Twins are in a better spot right now. Very early uh, in both of their careers, but if uh, Hunter Green was a Twin and Royce Lewis was a Red, I think the Twins would wish it was reversed. Yeah, so, yeah. Senzel and Hunter uh, and Royce Lewis would be a pretty amazing prospect duo, if we're being perfectly honest. Um, Right. So burying the lead a little bit, but Alex Kirilov at 39, I've had a few people reach out and say that's low. Uh, I, I do keep coming back to this, that the difference between 39 and say maybe 15 or 18 where people think he should be, it's a bigger difference than say, you know, 59 to 79 or 79 to 99 because the further you get from the top, the more narrow those gaps become. But at the same time too, I wonder, you know, bat first prospect, maybe bat only prospect, you know, he could be a... Maybe maybe he's the guy that plays first base long term, or Kepler comes in and he plays right field. But you're you're not looking at much more than a corner guy, maybe a decent corner guy. I'm not going to try to undersell him, but who knows how the arm's going to be for the long term? I, I just I think like 39 to me doesn't strike me as that 
bad of a ranking. And honestly, I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's not wins or losses applied to the team as it stands now. But I feel like you might be a little down on the idea that it's 39. That's right behind Andres Jimenez of the Mets and right ahead of Peter Alonso of the Mets. Um, both guys who could, you know, make some make some waves in uh, in flushing this in the upcoming year or two here. Yeah, it, it was it was a low ranking for me. Uh, like you say, it, it doesn't ultimately doesn't matter. It's pretty much just good podcast fodder. It's very good podcast fodder. Um, but it, it is low for me. Like you say, maybe bat first prospect, bat only prospect. But my goodness, is the bat something special? Yeah. Um, so I think he's going to be ranked a little bit. I think you'll see uh, in the coming rankings next week. Um, we can talk about those probably next Wednesday as well. I think you'll see he'll probably be ranked a little bit higher. Um, I was expecting to see him somewhere in the 15 to 25 range. Although it's, it's, I mean, now that I say that out loud, not yep. much of a difference, right? So some other guys to keep in mind, Brendan McKay was in the mix for the Twins to select a number one overall. He's number 42, uh, Luis Robert, 45. Your personal man crush, Josh James at 46. I know you got him in your uh, yeah. fantasy league. Justice Sheffield traded this year for James Paxson is at 50, Seattle Mariners prospect. Um, I feel like Cabrian Hayes has been on these lists forever, even though he's not that old, 55. Um, stop me if there's anybody that steps up. I, uh, Will Smith, I think the idea that the that the Dodgers have two top 60 prospects behind the plate is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, for sure. Jared Kalanick, who I know you like quite a bit from the Robinson Cano deal at 63. Uh, Tuki Toussaint at 70 somehow. He's still a prospect. Victor Victor Mesa, more so for you the name. You skipped over my guy. Yeah. You skipped over the 80-grade name on the list. Jazz Chisholm or Jemai Jones? Jazz Jazz Chisholm at was it sixty eight? Sixty nine. So he's sixty nine, and he's Jazz oh, Chisholm. Man. I mean, what else? And that's that is nice. Um, I think Lucius Fox. Eighty grade name at sixty nine. I love it. I think Lucius I Fox it. is a better name though. Uh, number seventy nine. Fair. I'm just kind of rolling through here. Uh, Helio Ramos, another fun name. Shane Boz. There's some good names on this list, honestly. Uh, and then we get Do to the it. bottom. Kyler Murray at one hundred and one. This is such. This this to me feels like, and I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be a dick, but that feels like such a reach to me to put him on the bottom of this list. I. Uh, it just seems unnecessary. I, I gotta be. I gotta be honest. It just. Well, you have one hundred and one names, right? Sure. So the top one hundred. The top one hundred is usually what you do. You have one hundred and one names, and I saw Kyler Murray at one hundred and one. I just kind of laughed. I just, I mean, that was, I, I just kind of chuckled. Maybe, maybe he is uh, worthy of that spot, but to be honest, we have no idea. And it just kind of seemed like a little nod to everything that's been going on over the last couple of months. So I kind of laughed. <laughs> I, I do feel though, like in a friend of mine, DM me, it's, it's going to, it's going to lead to a lot of people saying, look, he's a legit prospect. He shouldn't play concussion sport. And it's like, eh, We've already kind of been over this. There's more money for quarterbacks up front than there is for prospects. And part of that's a failing on baseball's side. Although granted, you know, minor leaguers even paid a living wage is still a lot less money than quarterback money. And, you know, he's going to probably go in the first round. I, I don't know. I just think to me, him at 101 was just kind of unnecessary. I mean, it's not like they picked Tim Tebow and put him there, you know, to prove a point or anything. But uh, I don't know. I just I don't like it. Yeah, I'll say Kyler Murray, much, much, much better prospect than Tim Tebow. Um, we'll sure. say that. Uh, but uh, 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 to be fair, I don't know if uh, he's worthy of necessarily uh, 101 on the list. But uh, I do think he'll play, end up playing football here. Now, you can be honest with me. You don't have to pretend. Did you happen to see their top, their next 10 list? 
No, I did not. Okay, so, so just some names I like and that. then one twin. Um, Miguel Amaya, catcher for the Cubs that I kind of like. I, I do like Dakota Hudson for the Cardinals. And let's see, Matthew Liberatore, Brady Singer, another guy I like. Evan White, another guy I really like. Who do you think the twin was that they missed? Okay, so my guess in the next 10, we'll see if he's number four on my list because we'll go over this. So I'm just going to guess number four on my list. A little spoiler, Wander Javier. No, and I thought you might say that too. Uh, he's He's got a lot of steam in that baseball prospectus community, and I'm talking about the com- commenters. Apparently, there is a, a hive mind for Wander Javier, but no, it's Trevor Larnick. Interesting. So wow, that's, it's behind that's the paywall, and I don't want to give away all of it. But uh, talk about offensive expectations being high. Didn't necessarily move the needle in terms of what he did in the minors, and not a lot of power projection. But uh, he's about as safe as a bat as you will find, that they say. So I, I like that he's got opposite field power. You know, Oregon State was really good for that based on how his stadium kind of played wind-wise. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm impressed to see him, you know, in that one to 102 to 111 range or 112 range. That's that's uh, 111 range. Is, uh, that's an impressive standing for a guy who I don't think a lot of people are that excited about. I mean, they're excited, but not this level. Well, and I would say with the four players listed uh, for the Twins on these two lists, I think it, it, it uh, bears an exciting future for the club. So let's let's take a step away from prospects for a second. What do you think of these yeah. twins alternate unis? I feel like you're gonna hate them. <laughs> I knew you were gonna uh, yeah, so I knew you were gonna ask me this. Uh and I knew you liked them. I, I opened them up and my first my very first thought when I clicked on the link was that looks like a batting practice jersey. Well maybe like they'll an, hit like, like that. This, old... is, this is a team that's gonna hit uh, <laughs> this is uh this is a team that's gonna hit batting practice on the field, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a good omen, right? Um, so I looked at him a little bit closer. My first thought was, eh, bad in practice jersey, I don't know. I looked at him a little closer, and I just think, I think it's too much gold. I like the Casota gold. I think it's been a nice little touch. I just think it's too much. I, it's trimming everything on this jersey. Um, and to be honest with you, I was just kind of hoping for something more of a, a throwback to the early 80s, either the home whites or the powder blues. Um, so I was a little disappointed. I honestly think what the Twins should do is just embrace the number of different things they've had, go full MLB the show on the bit and have just like a bunch of alternates and change it up all the time. Not quite Oregon Ducks necessarily, but, you know, just show up one day and be like, oh, powder blues, show up another day. Oh, they're going back to the vests, show up another day. Oh, they have the M on the cap instead of the TC. That's one way to keep fans engaged is they don't even know what uniform you're going to be wearing that day. You know what I mean? I I feel like that would be a cheap and easy way to do it. I agree. I like the plan. Would you also add to that uh, list of jerseys? Would you go full Casota Gold? Sure. Why not? Lean right into Casota <laughs> Gold. Dip yourself in some of the Polad's cash. I know that 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 comment is going to get me in some hot water, but I don't care. I can, I can get a. I can. I can. I've been. I have a hot tub at home. I'm used to it. So um, honestly, <laughs> I think I thought I I like it. Uh, you know, it's a it's a different look. Yeah. So I think uh, they are getting rid of the creams though, and I don't I don't endorse that. I think you should not be subtracting to your your uniforms. Uh, maybe, maybe this won't make me com- uh, popular with the clubbies who have to los- launder this stuff and sew this stuff. So sorry, Frank. But um, honestly, I think that it um, – I think they should have more. I think I think more is more when it comes to uniform combinations. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I and I like the creams. I think they're a nice a nice touch for a weekend game on occasion. I didn't think they necessarily need to be out of the rotation. Uh, the Sunday, or I guess not. I don't think they're Sunday Reds. I think they're Friday, Saturday Reds. Those are my favorites still. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these grow on me. I didn't like them initially, but I, I'm kind of the Jersey guy who, when I see them at first, I'm skeptical most of the time. Like when the new Wolves ones came out, even when the Prince ones came came out, I was initially skeptical and then they kind of grew on me. So, um, we'll see, we'll see how this one's do for me. That's just like anything else. So I think a healthy batch of skepticism, as long as it doesn't lead to you yelling at your favorite reporters on Twitter, uh, is good. <laughs> so, um, Let's uh let's dive into our top tens, and I think we should start at number ten, because everyone knows yeah. who's going to be number one, and I think going from uh bottom up is always more fun. So, number ten prospect, hit us with it, sticks. Do you have Do you have a list as well? I do. Oh yeah. I, I mean, as much as I appreciate your prospect analysis, I have to have some as well. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, there's a there's a list of names here that I had for number ten. I ended up settling. Uh, on one, I have five on the outside looking in. Number 10, uh, Joan Duran, the pitcher that we uh, acquired. I say we. I'm a fan. I can do that. Uh, right. The pitcher that the Twins acquired from the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange is part of the package for Eduardo Escobar. So Joan Duran, number 10. Uh, I have Brent Rooker as my 10. I'm sure that might be a little on the low side. Uh, wow. It's tough for me because you do want to have proximity factor in, but it is hard for me to have a bat first, bat only prospect who there's, I mean, there's still some questions about how he'll play with wood bats in the higher levels. He obviously dominated the SEC and there's no question about that. But if it's a DH profile or a first base profile or a really bad defensive left fielder profile, it's hard for me to go higher than that. And I love Brent Rooker. I think he's got one of the best Twitter accounts on the entire platform. And I don't want to sound like I'm dogging him, but for me, he's number 10. I love Brent Rooker too. I love Brent Rooker more than you. We'll get to that oh, a little really? bit here. Um, on that, that, it's not surprising to me. I, I have him a little higher because he is closer. And I think the probability that he's a better major leaguer than Joan Duran or a couple other guys I have on this list is what, is what had him a little bit higher on the list for me, even though he's a bat first guy. All right. Um, Who do you have at number, number nine? Number nine, um, maybe the best name in the system. Tools the outfielder. Love this guy, Akil Badu. I, I like it. I I see in Badu a. I don't want to call it a poor man's Aaron Hicks, but in his walk numbers, I mean, I don't know if he'll hit enough to do that because there is a little bit of like. Um, let's see here. Yeah, there's there's still a fair, fair number of strikeouts, so you do have the uh, the. Uh, who who's the guy that struck out and had all that power that flamed out in Triple A? Um, oh man, that's uh, the Jacksonville University kid. He's like a oh yeah, pick. Adam Brett Walker. Adam Brett Walker. Adam Brett that's Walker. There's a little bit of Adam Brett Walker in his game, but not enough for me to be that worried. I mean, if he hit 243 at eight in in low A, there is some question if you make enough contact. But 24 of 29 stolen bases, 11 homers, 11 triples, 22 doubles. To me, you know, that's an isolated power of uh, about 180. To me, that's that's still a guy whose tools you're going to gamble on. You know, does he only hit 220 in AAA and, and become unusable? Very possible. But I, I like him at, at number nine. I think that's a that's a good pick. Sure, you're number nine. Blaine Enlow. 
right-handed pitcher out of St. Amant High School in Louisiana, third-round pick in 2017. Coming off a good but not great year at Cedar Rapids, three years younger than his contemporaries in Cedar Rapids, though. And I think you have to keep in mind that they're moving him fairly quickly for his age. Only four home runs in 94 innings. Um, I'm going to bring up his Fangraphs page because I want to see what his ground ball rate is. I suspect it's pretty good. Sure. Uh, but for me, you're just looking at a guy who might be a 3-4, could tick up with a few more strikeouts. Um, you know, right now the numbers, though, they, they remind me a little bit of Cole Stewart at the time. Yeah, goal, ground ball rate of 54.9 at rookie ball in 20 innings and then 94 innings, 45.9. So you're looking at about a league average or better ground ball guy. And um, so a little bit of a Cole Stewart vibe. But Cole Stewart, keep in mind, was drafted fourth overall, not, you know, 60th overall or whatever this um, this young man was. So only 19. He turns 20 in March. I uh, I think that he's pretty advanced for where he's at, and I think he's got a chance to really stick and do some good things. Yeah, Blaine Enlow, eight on my list. It's a good transition. Enlow, eight on my list. Keith Law had him as having the best curveball in the draft. Who doesn't love a curveball? Yeah, I believe MLB Pipeline had said the same thing. Um, He was ranked somewhere kind of in the – in the teens in his draft year and the twins got him in the third round, played, paid him above slot. Um, that was and, a really good draft. That him. was the Royce Lewis Rooker, all that draft. I mean, that's a really yeah. good draft for the twins. Yeah. So it's Lewis Rooker and low. I know, I know at the time some twins fans wanted Sam Carlson, the local guy who ended up going to the Mariners and having Tommy uh, John. By the way. He, yep. I believe he just had Tommy John. You never, you never know what those guys are. Right. But yeah, yeah. they went above slot. Uh, with Enlo and got him to forego his commitment to LSU, and uh, I'm excited about him. So get this, Akil Badu is my number eight. Like I said, um, the Love walks it. really stand out to me. 74 as a 19-year-old at Cedar Rapids. Another guy that, I mean, uh, you don't think about it at the time, but 19 and in Cedar Rapids, that's that's pretty fast, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. He's uh, he's a, he's an exciting prospect. It's all going to come down to his bat. He can play some defense. I don't think the arm is great. Uh but has some pop and certainly has the legs. It's going to come down to his bat. And if he gets enough, I think he's going to be a, a pretty good outfit. Anybody he reminds you of? I mean, maybe the Hicks comparison is a little too much, but this is a guy who hits lefty. So there'll be, I'm sure, some questions about how he'll hit left on left. And I think that might have actually been an issue last year. But um, he can obviously run. He can play center. I'm, I'm pulling up his splits now. Let's see. Left on left, he had a 643 OPS, 812 right on right. So, I mean... All 11 of his homers were against righties. That's something to think about, too. Um, but still, I mean, left on right, that's still 75, 80% of the game, which, you know, the long side of a platoon, there's nothing wrong with that either. Right. Yeah, no, I do I do like the Hicks comparison. I'm trying to come up with one in my head right now, and I can't seem to can't seem to find it. But so I do like the I do like the Hicks comparison. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be Aaron Hicks. Mm-hmm. Like you say, a bit of a poor man's Aaron Hicks. Yep. Um but it'll be interesting to see how he develops. I think he's a he's one of the guys who can definitely shoot up list if he starts to hit a little more. Who do you got next? Number seven. Let's see. It just went away from me. Hold on. Number seven on my list, uh, Nick Gordon. Okay. Uh, I, I went I went some some ceiling guys who were further away a bit below, um, and then went Nick Gordon seven. I, I I think he's kind of a high forward prospect. Always has been. The the thing about him is his. He's got a bunch of probably average and slightly above average tools with the instincts that'll kind of make them play up. Uh, but he really struggled in the back half of last year. 
And that's kind of been a theme for his career. He comes out gangbusters out of the gate and struggles as, as the season wears along. Um, probably needs to add a little strength. Um, and I, I would say I think his I think his prospect star the shine on his name definitely slipped a little bit last year. How much does it help that he's six foot instead of like five ten or five nine in terms of adding weight? I mean, you know, he's obviously got a very narrow, thin frame, but the older he gets, he should still be able to put on some more weight to the point where, I mean, it's good weight. And we're talking about a guy who only had a 544 OPS at Rochester last year. That, uh, you know, he had really killed it at, at Chattanooga, definitely deserved the promotion. But, um, you know, it, it's clear he he did take a hit a little bit. Keep in mind, though, almost five years younger than the average player at AAA. Is, is it hard to know how much to penalize him for that? It is, uh, and especially when now AAA, I think, has become almost even more of a of a quad A type of place where there's a lot of older players, and Double A is more of the more of the prospect haven. So I don't know how much to read into the fact that he's five years younger than his contemporaries there. Um, so I went. I, I went yeah, with, it's, no, I don't want to. I don't want to steal from you. Whatever you got about Nick Gordon, then I'll jump in. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's all you, man. Well, I have Wander Javier at uh, at seven, and. Obviously, the numbers at E-Town in 2017 were impressive. I mean, the big issue for me is how is he going to respond to a year away? You know, being injured and missing all of 2018 certainly hurts. I I like him as a prospect as much as you can like any guy who's only played rookie ball. But a a year away, I mean, Alex Kirilov came back and and forced it now to the point where he might go to to Pensacola. Uh, I hope I never said Chattanooga before because it's Pensacola now. But if through two months, he's got a thousand OPS at Pensacola or three months. I think they might just say, look, kid, come to the big leagues and let's see what you can do. Yeah. I, uh, and I, I'm higher even, even so he, I'm even higher on Javier, uh, seven on my list. I'm a big, or uh, six on my list. I'm sorry. I'm big on Javier, but six on my list. We talked about him already. You're, you're a little lower on him at 10, but Brent Rooker. And basically what I did here is I compared Rooker and Gordon side by side mm-hmm. and said, who do I think is going to be the more big impactful big yeah. big leaguer for the Twins? And I think it's going to be Brent Rooker. Yeah, he's got one tool with with the bat. Uh, well, I guess you could call it two bat and power, but uh, I think it's going to end up being more impactful to the Twins than, than Nick Gordon long-term. Don't get me wrong, I think Nick Gordon will be a fine player, uh, but I, I, I don't think I don't think he's going to be necessarily any better than Jorge Polanco is right now for the Twins. Fair and, enough, uh, fair enough. And I, yeah, and I, think, and I think Rooker is going to end up hitting at some point 30, 35 bombs in a season for this club. So I went Rooker ahead of Gordon. I have Gordon at six, so a f- very okay. fun contrast. And I swear we didn't even share lists, so it has been kind of fun. No, we didn't. Jockeyed back and forth, almost like a game of badminton. You know, not quite as fast as tennis, but all fun to watch all the same. Um, yeah, for me, Gordon, I mean, how much – he was able to improve up the ladder, spending pretty much a full season everywhere he was, and then a little more time at Double A. I thought was wise, as much as I maybe didn't think so at the time. And I think the Rochester numbers kind of proved that value. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying I put a utility future on him or anything. I mean, guys like Eduardo Escobar did obviously worse than than this in the minors in in some respects, at least in terms of higher level stuff and even in the majors, uh, you know, really struggling until they find their way. So I'm not putting any sort of definition on it, but the fact that he, and I put asterisks around this, could play short, more likely second or who knows, even third, to me just has a little more value than Rooker. Um, 
You know, if he, if Gordon's going to be three wins above replacement, it might be because he steals 20 bases, plays decent defense at second base and has a 740 OPS for Rooker to be a three win player. He's going to, well, maybe not, maybe, maybe he's going to be pretty good defensively to do that, but, but Rooker would probably have to hit 30 bombs to be a two or three win player. And I just think that that for Gordon is a little bit more likely. And that's why I got the, the, the edge for, for Gordon at number six for me. Sure. I'll, I'll add this on Nick Gordon. It, uh, Pretty alarming to me after years of being on the in in the back end of the top ten shortstop list from MLB Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put it out yesterday. Uh, Royce Lewis number two on that list, by the way, behind Fernando Tatis. But uh, Nick Gordon didn't make the top ten shortstop list, Oof. and he didn't make the top ten second baseman list. That's tough. So that I think means that he's out a of bit. favor. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he seems a little out of favor in the prospect world. Um, so that's why I went Rooker ahead of him. We're, we're on to number five, are we? Yes. We might have the same number five. I don't know. Number five, Trevor Larnick. Nope, the, uh, we don't. We don't. The first round pick for the Twins. Just touched on him. First round pick out of Oregon State. Uh, love the bat. Might be might be a bat only guy. I think he moves a little bit better than Rooker. May play a little bit better defense than Rooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Rooker maybe a Kirilov. I don't know. I can't really speak to that part. Uh, but so might only be a bat guy. But like I said about Kirilov and Rooker, the bat's pretty good. Um, I know when he came out of the draft, high exit velocity was a big thing with him, very similar to Rooker in terms of what kind of went in or part of what went into the Twins selecting him. And I think I could be wrong about this, but he may have been the College World Series MVP as well. I think you're um, he I think played. You're right. I think it was either him or Adley Rutschman who might be the first overall pick this coming year. Yeah, um, out of Oregon stacked. State, the catcher, Madrigal, all those guys. You, who was it? I said that team was stacked. They had uh, they had Madrigal, the guy that the uh, White Sox took, right? Yeah, they. I mean, yeah, they were. There's a stacked lineup. I mean, that's a really tough lineup to reach your five in the middle of their three first round picks and three high first round picks. Insane. Uh, but so yeah, I'm a big Larnick guy. Uh, there there seems to be a bit now uh, in the system and on this club of of bat first corner outfield types, bat first first baseman and corner outfield types. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of perceived logjam maybe plays out. But uh, Larnick, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, his numbers were okay at E-Town, and, and I think he got up to Cedar Rapids um, briefly. Uh, but I'm excited to see what he does here in 2019. 905 OPS in E-Town, 878 in Cedar Rapids. So, I mean, pretty good. for E-Town, he was old. For Cedar Rapids, he was uh, half a year younger. He's going to be pushed pretty quickly, and – who knows where he'll come through? Um, no errors. Yeah, he, he fielded 61 chances with no errors, whatever that means as far as outfielders go. For me, number five, and I, this might be a bit high, is Jorge Alcala, who uh, I know the numbers don't necessarily bear it out. You know, obviously, we hate records, but 3-11 and 11 last year between all the levels he played at. But I'm just buying into the skill set. To me, this feels like a young right-handed Francisco Liriano in terms of stuff. And I'm not saying he's going to show up and do what Liriano did in 2006. He certainly could do what Liriano did in 2005. But um, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm buying the hype. I just think that the Twins did a really, really good job with this Ryan Presley trade. As much as I hated it at uh, – people hated it at the time to get rid of Ryan Presley, I see why they did it. And I think I really like this uh, this alcoholic kid he was he was one of the uh the five names i had on the outside looking in so i think you're a little bit higher on Corey Alcoa than i am mm-hmm. but he was one of the five names i had on the outside do really like him think there's some reliever risk there yeah um think he might think he might end up being a power arm in the back end of the bullpen 
not that that's a bad thing. It's a good commodity to have, uh, but it's not necessarily number five prospect worthy in my mind. So I just had him just on the outside favored, favored Duran, um, just based on the numbers they put up when they were here. Uh, not, not that you can scout this, not that you can really scout the stat line, but favored Duran slightly put him in at 10 and, uh, some other guys I had on the outside looking in just now that I'm on here or on the topic, Lewis Thorpe just outside. Yep, that Morey was one for me too. Just outside. Yep, Junior Severino just outside. Uh, Ryan Jeffers, the catcher that they drafted in the second round last year out of UNC Wilmington, uh, looks like he's going to stay at catcher and he's got a pretty good power bat. So if he, I think mean, that's a guy you're going to see climb the ranks pretty quickly here, especially given the value of that position. Um, and the last one. Who I had 11 on my list just outside is Gilberto Celestino, who is the other guy uh, that they received in the Ryan Presley trade. Very good defensive outfielder, was highly, highly sought uh, in the July 2nd international period a few years back, um, and draws some uh, uh, Albert Almora comps. So that's kind of interesting. So for me, just outside would have been Thorpe. Would have also been Lamont Wade. I just like the OBP. I mean, not mm-hmm. exactly a firm defensive stop. Uh, Luis Arias, second base is really hard to gauge, but he makes so much contact. And then I'm trying to think of who else the other one might have been. Uh, I think Johan Duran was also on my my list. So um, both of us notably down on Steven Gonsalves. I think it's pretty easy to see why. But uh, – was that kind of the guy that you think people are going to be most surprised you left off your list altogether? Probably so. I, but to be, to be completely frank, I never considered him. Right. I really never considered him strongly. Um, I think, I think um, when he came up last year and granted, I'm knocking him for not, not a, not a lot of innings, not a big sample in terms of performance, but I think you just saw it a guy who might be Tommy Malone 2.0. I mean, he, he, he fed a lot of the worries that people in this prospect community had, even in just under 25 yeah. big beginnings. It's, it's 90, 91, maybe 92 sometimes. And to be frank, he doesn't have very good command of it. And he needs to have good command of it when you're 91, 92. Walks have been a problem for Gonsalves, mm-hmm. both from a control and command standpoint. Um, that and that's something work. he's going to have to clean up if he's going to reach his potential. Yeah, that just won't work. So number four, who'd you have? Number four, we touched on it. Wander Javier. I really like this kid. Uh, I mean, middle infield prospect might have to move off short eventually. If, if they think Royce Lewis can stay there, that's obviously projecting a bit. Yeah. Um, but middle of the infield, middle of the infield guy who again, highly sought in the July, uh, July 2nd period a few years back. Um, has certainly added mass to his frame since then. I mean, how could you not from 16 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but has shown the proclivity to be able to hit and hit for power. The only issue with him is he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's had nagging injuries for a couple of years, and obviously the big one that knocked him out last year. I can't remember. Was it a shoulder? Do you remember what injury knocked him out last year? For for Wander Javier? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I think, yeah. I think you're right. I'm going to look it up. Just because I okay. uh, for for some reason I thought it was shoulder. I don't know. Yep. But Sh- it, season ending shoulder surgery. Uh, Doctor James Andrews gave it to him in uh, in May. So okay. yeah. Okay. It'll be yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he bounced back. But he's he's probably one of the guys outside of these top three that I'm most excited for in the system. Um, so I ranked him a little bit higher than I think I think you did, and I think some other people might. 
Yeah, the, the missed year loomed large for me. I have Trevor Larnick fourth, like they said on the the list, one of the safer bats. I mean, 303, 390, 500 for his slash, um, you know, is, is the kind of thing where I just feel like, you know, 21 walks and 177 plate appearances. He just has a very good professional approach. Um, I haven't really looked at the splits, though. I want to see how he handles lefties, which I'm pulling up here. Um, 836 OPS against lefties, 899 against righties. I mean, again, you can't take too much from the splits early on, but a guy like Max Kepler really, really struggled, um, you know, early in his career and has kind of come around a little bit. So you're not always, uh, you know, a death trap or anything like that. But when you show it early, that means there's probably a better chance to keep it the longer you go. Yeah, I would agree, and I—I I mean, I'm excited about him too. There's a, this is a—I would say league wide, this is probably a, a top ten to top half, top ten list, um, in terms of the talent on the list, just all the way through. And obviously, with the big three that we're going to get into here, um, make it's—it's it's part of what makes the twin system very interesting. Yeah, and we'll see if our top three are aligned. I think they probably are. I think they are number three for me. We'll get into it. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit, alluded to it. Bruce, dark rat or all. Yep. Same. Uh, I mean, big, big stocky kid, big power arm. And it just seems to be has that he's been steadily rising the prospect ranks for the last couple of years here to me. Um, it's essentially Fernando Romero with a bit more life on the fastball, um, uh, more bulk and, too. the starter bulk you like. Yeah. A lot more bulk as well. And I think, if this is a guy, I mean, if if his floor, if his floor is elite power reliever, then you're doing, then you're doing all right there. Well, here's the other thing too. I feel like if Roger Clemens came through now, they'd say, ah, oh, he's got a relief risk. I mean, guys this right, type have exactly. relief risks because of how hard they throw. Gratterall has not even had a minor flare up with command. I mean, E Town three point nine walks per nine. You could live with that with ten point five strikeouts per nine, but his career walk rate. 2.5 per nine, a 1.11 whip. There are, there have not been those early markers in his career where you worry about command, whereas you know, I think we, um, I think we saw that a little bit with Fernando Romero, a little bit with Francisco Liriano in the minors. There just have not been those questions. Now, granted, he's only pitched 60 innings at high A, 60 very good innings, and he is only 19. I mean, 19 at Fort Myers, he's on a fast track. He's got to be added to the 40 at the end of this year. I'm very excited for his future, and number three is a pretty easy pick for me. Uh, number two was not very difficult either. Yeah, number two, not very difficult at all. And uh, it, it might be if number one wasn't such an uber prospect. But number yeah. two, yep. uh, Alex Alex Kirilov, we talk about you talk about how excited you are for number one on this list. We talked about Royce Lewis earlier and how excited you are in terms of you just think he's a safe prospect, mm-hmm. whether it's his mentality or, or whatever it is. He, he's kind of his makeup is beyond his years. He seems like a prospect that's not going to bust. I feel very similarly about Alex Kirloff and it's because of the hit tool. I use, you see these prospects with these high hit tools that are just great with the bat and very rarely do they, do they, they might struggle a little bit, but very rarely do they fail. And this is a guy who, and I've seen it written, I forget who, so forgive me to whoever said this, but I saw it on Twitter that he may have the second best hit tool in in the entire minors behind only Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So, I mean, this is a guy who uses all fields, peppers the baseball, hit for hit for power, um, and oh by the way, didn't play the year prior, missed the entire year due to Tommy John, and just lit the world on fire last year. I can't 
I couldn't be more excited for Alex Kirilov. So Justin's going to have to put a parental advisory mark on this show, but this is what Kirilov yeah. did to left-handed pitchers last year. 361, 386, 556. A 942 OPS against left-handed pitching. Righty, righty had a 980 OPS. Versus older pitchers last year. Pitchers older than him. 353, 399, 593. He literally paddled them. Versus younger pitchers, only a 267, 267, 333, a 600 OPS. Oh, by the way, only 30 of the 561 plate appearances did he take last year against pitchers younger than him. This is a kid who is so far ahead of his years in terms of maturity. I mean, the kid got married at like 19, which is – I'm not, not saying people have to be mature to get married. And, and because they're mature, they get married earlier. It has anything to do with it. But this is a kid who majored – in baseball, in high school. His dad literally yeah. like homeschooled him and they did hitting for eight hours and school for eight hours or whatever it is. Like this is a kid who grew up around the game. The only question I have about his development is if it was ever a situation where he didn't love baseball as much as baseball loved him when he was growing up. You know what I mean? Like like if, if it was too much. For sure. Like if his dad put too much on him. And I think his dad knew exactly what he was doing and I, I, I don't, sense that there's any kind of issue like this but that's about the only thing yeah no i don't either i think the kid that loves the game and by god is he good at it so i'm really excited about him but man i'm even more excited about the number one prospect in the twin system and one of the 10 best prospects in all baseball royce lewis yeah i mean this is a guy who had an 853 ops at, at cedar rapids 726 in fort myers in 46 games i mean he was four years younger than his average contemporary at fort myers i think this kid's gonna be an absolute thriller he's a galvanizing force in the clubhouse community on the field this is a franchise altering player period <laughs> yeah he absolutely is and and i think i think that's been pretty apparent even so far in in his First, first year, what year and a half in the Twins minor league system? Yeah, and uh, right, first, yeah, first, first year and a half in the Twins minor league system, and they've pushed him. I mean, this this is a kid who's already finished the year at high A last year, which is which is absolutely nuts. And I think I, I they'll either start him. I think they're going to start him probably at Fort Myers, but I don't think he'll be. I don't think he's uh, too long for Fort Myers. I think it's it's only a matter of time before he's in Pensacola, and frankly, it's only a matter of time before he's. He's in Minneapolis at Target Field. I think he's on that Joe Maurer track. And to be to be completely honest with you, this is about as lofty as it gets. I wouldn't be surprised if we see whatever number he wears in the Twins rafters someday. Yep, I think Kirilov goes to Pensacola, and with two months of absolute mashing, could force his way into the Twins' plans this year, which is bananas to say since he didn't play at all in 2017. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. Maybe we'll have a little payroll discussion next week. We'll see if the Twins have signed a reliever or a starting pitcher um we'll talk about martin perez next week we'll see what happens but hey thank you so much for the time and we'll catch you on the flip-flop how does that sound absolutely man take care for justin the prod producer the podfather tom schreier in spirit only this is brandon warren saying thank you so much for checking us out on midwest swing part of the zone coverage podcast network